You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Healy Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined alongside Shotgun Spratling. It's been a long time coming. In our defense, we did have a podcast taped right before the brew meltdown happened. So that was kind of uh, a non-usable podcast. And then this guy, Shotgun Spratling, went to the Super Bowl. Uh, so he- I was ready to talk. on. I asked you a couple times if you want to do a podcast. Yeah. I had plenty to say about the USC players who were going to be playing in the Super Bowl. And you told me you didn't want to do it. That, first of all, is blatantly false. Second, what? your idea of planning is texting me at like one thirty in the morning being like, do you want to podcast tomorrow at this very specific time with no I did not say this very specific time. Yes. But said any time after. No. Yeah. Goodbye. Get out of here. What? You're a bad planner and no. That is incorrect. Anyway, moving on. We're back with another episode. <laughs> uh, Post National Signing Day. It was a pretty quiet Sunday day for USC. We'll get into that. We'll also go get into Clay Helton's comments at his first press conference of 2019. First time we've gotten to talk to him since all the Cliff Brew developments. Uh, so we'll get into that. As a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom. You can also email us questions and submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Also, if you're feeling lazy and just want to tweet a question at us, just tweet it. USC wrapped up the 2019 recruiting class. As it stands now, USC is 18th in the nation, third in the Pac-12. But those ratings are with Puka Nakua still in the class. He still hasn't made a decision yet. Uh, He is going to make a decision, his mom says, by Friday. But considering he is a USC commit, or was at this point, and he hasn't signed pen to paper with USC, it does not look good for USC in that sense. I mean, he told me at the Polynesian Bowl that he wished that he could get all of his visits done, you know, in the next week after the Polynesian Bowl. So you have some time before signing day to kind of mull over everything and look over all the options and kind of compare and contrast. And, you know, he knew that wasn't going to happen. So he, he actually told me, he's like, I hope I don't wake up on National Signing Day and then try to make a decision. And which is what, what, was going to happen. Instead, he stepped back from it and decided to to take a little extra couple of days and and reevaluate all the places he had been over a three week period where he'd been on three visits, you know, and see what he wanted out of things. And you know, the thing is though that USC seems to be sliding down that list of schools. You know, he, he is a USC commit in name right now. I think he took it off of his Twitter profile that he's a USC commit, though. So that usually tells you something. He's not officially decommitted, but there really isn't a point at this at this time. You know, you just sign with a school, so he doesn't have to decommit. He's just going to sign with someone else uh, potentially. Can USC get back in it? You know, it's it's currently a dead period. So unless he reaches out to the coaching coaching staff, they can't really you know try to pitch him any other way. So it's going to be down to him and his mother, you know, making the decision and trying to figure out what's best for him. And, you know, you, you thought that originally going into this is like it, it's going to be USC and Utah maybe. And, you know, Utah is, is the, you know, the family ties there because his brother plays at Utah and maybe they can sneak him in. But, no, it's, it's coming down to USC, Washington, and Oregon are the schools. You know, UCLA was also in the mix. I don't think they're going to get him at all, though. So I think it's going to be one of those three schools, and we'll see how it plays out over the next couple of days. I mean, Washington made a really big impression on him when he went to, on that visit right after the Polynesian Bowl, and then he went on his last trip, I believe, to Oregon. Uh, or maybe his Oregon was before UCLA. I can't remember the, the order on those two, but you know they made a good impression as well. So both of those northeastern or northwestern schools have have uh, made a big impression. 
how much is what UC, USC did throughout his recruitment and you know what they've pitched him with Graham Harrell and the new offense you know how much is that going to play into it I don't know I mean USC did sign three wide receivers so you know it's not like they're it's a position of dire need like some of the other positions are that they did not get people in Um, you know the offensive line the running back maybe getting that second running back like they've been trying to do I think those were more important than keeping Puka however Puka is a dude yeah. You know, he showed out on the All-Star. Uh, he showed out in high school, putting up, you know, just breaking records, you know, with just ridiculous numbers at Orem High School. But then, and people were like, okay, well, that's in or I mean, that's in Utah. That's at Orem. You know, they're pretty good. That's, you know, him beating up on some worse competition. Then he went to the All-Star Games and went to the Army All-American Bowl, the All-American Bowl now, uh, in San Antonio, and showed out there was the team offensive MVP in the game. Then he went to the Polynesian Bowl, was the offensive MVP there for the game. So he was fantastic both of those weeks, showing you that he is not a, you know, he's not a guy that's just going to be in a class. He's going to be one of the one of the stars of the classes when when all is said and done. So where do you fall on if USC loses Puka? You made the case for both sides. It, it, it's not a loss and it is a loss. Where do you fall? I mean, anytime you can get a playmaker, is great. You know, I don't think it's it, it's not good for USC because this class is not overall is just not up to the standards that they have set previously. You know, coming in, what did you say, 18th right now? Yes. USC when was the last time they were 18th? I mean, it just doesn't happen. This is the worst uh, ranking since the recruiting sites have been a thing. Exactly, and it's a large class, so it's not like yeah, it's not like it was the Lane Kiffin class where there was 10 guys and. You know, USC star ra- uh, average star rating was still like the top in the nation or number two or something like that. You know, but they had a very small class, so then you know you didn't get the accumulation of points uh, in those rankings. This is a very large class with a number of three star guys in it, and some of those three star guys are going to become starters on this team. I have no doubt about it. There's some guys in there that I'm really high on. I think that they're going to play really well. They're going to be you know guys that could even possibly make impacts their first year. However. When you bring in, was it 18 three stars? Yes. 18 three stars on this team. I mean, that's just, that's an absurd number. And some of those guys will perform, like I said, but you're going to have a number of them that are going to be guys that aren't going to do anything in their career. They're just going to be, you know, role players or whatever it may be. 18 three star guys is not like any USC class in the past. Uh, so, you know, they did what they could to bring in bodies because they needed bodies, especially in the, the DBs. I mean, yesterday, if you want to include CV Nomura as a uh, as a defensive back, he's played safety at at, uh, at Narbon. I mean, excuse me, at Centennial High. He's going to be similar to Uchenna Nwosu. They're going to try to bulk him up, moving on the outside linebacker. It sounds like from what Clay Helton said yesterday. But if you wanted to include him as a DB, six of the seven guys yesterday are DBs. Yeah. So you know they they brought in five true DBs. They had already got a couple guys in the in the early signing period. So. You know, they really went hard on that DB class and they needed to because they were just, there was just no bodies there. I mean, in the spring, Clay Helton even talked about it yesterday. He said, we're going to have to get creative in the spring with the DBs. And what that tells me is you might see some guys that have played DB before, maybe like Pi Young if he's still at USC, you know, it's just, or even Trayvon Sidney if he's still at USC, you know, guys that, you know, Pi Young's been rumored to be in the portal, the transfer portal. He has not been as far as we have, uh, I've gotten confirmation on, or we have not gotten confirmation on that. Whereas Trayvon Sydney is, you know, they could still come back to USC. Just because you go on the transfer portal doesn't mean that you have to leave the school. But those guys could end up playing DB in the spring just because there's not bodies. 
Uh, and, you know, you might have some guys play both ways or something. You know, they're going to have to do some creative stuff because of how few bodies there are on that on that defensive side in the secondary right now coming off losing it. You know, five guys to graduation, I think it is. Plus, you have some injuries there. You got some guys that had some shoulder surgeries and different things. So you're just not going to have a lot of bodies. So we'll see what they do to be creative there. So it was important to bring in a number of DBs and to build up that depth a little bit more. And bringing in a guy like Jalen Watson as a JUCO, you know, that helps spread the class out a little bit. You're going to see some of these guys will redshirt this first year. Some of them will play enough games so they don't. So that'll kind of split this, you know, large DB class into two kind of because, you know, you'll have some guys will be technically be sophomores. Some guys will still be freshmen next year. So I think that that was necessary, but there's a lot of filler there to this this recruiting class. Yeah. There's not a ton of star power to this recruiting class. You know, Kyle Ford, I think, is a star. I think Max Williams can be a star cornerback, too. Those both guys are coming off ACL injuries. So even some of your star power is kind of limited. Um, so it's not a typical USC class. Can it still be good? Yes. Can you make it work? Yes. If you fill in next class and you go back to your, you know, your normal, uh, this could be, a, you know, could be a very good class for USC with the numbers that they have. However, it is not the same as the classes they've had in the past. You touched it on it already um greg burns comes in it seems like he's putting work you know p- filling up that db depth uh six of the seven or five of the seven who signed yesterday dbs i mean how much does that help in the short term i know they can't they're not gonna be there in spring but how much playing time do you expect them to get maybe in fall camp or beyond i mean i think i have to see some of these guys in person i mean i've seen some of the tape i've seen kalana makala I uh, saw him at the Polynesian ball. I was really impressed with him. He's going to play safety, though. I saw him playing corner. I thought he looked pretty good at corner. Now we'll see how he is at safety. So, you know, we got to see these guys in person to see how much they can compete with the guys that are already there. You know, you look at Isaac Taylor Stewart. Is he healthy and, you know, in, invested and ready to take over a starting spot? Greg Johnson and Elijah Griffin are there. You know, at the cornerback spots, both of those guys had offseason surgery. So we'll see, you know, who's healthy and who comes back and is playing at a high level going through the spring into the fall uh, camp there. I think that there's opportunities there for these young guys to get in and make an impact because of, you know, there's just going to be reps. You know, if you came in last year as a freshman, you know, it was hard for Elijah Griffin and Isaac Taylor Stewart to get reps. Isaac Taylor Stewart, I believe, I believe both of them ended up being uh, high four stars. Maybe uh, depending on the ranking, whether it was the 24-7 sports composite or the 24-7 sports rankings, at least one of them was a five-star and one of them was a four-star. I think uh, it, it shook out differently that way. But those guys, if they came in this year, you know, they're the cream of the crop coming in, and there's not much in front of them. Last year you come in, you've got, you've got guys like Jonathan Lockett who can't get on the field, even though he's a guy that had started, you know, like I think 10 or 12 games in his career. So it, it's a much different – uh, environment for the DBs coming in. There are going to be opportunities. So if, if you're a DB coming in, you look at it and say, I'm going to go make my mark. I'm going to go to win a spot because it's available there. It's not like Iman Marshall's in front of you. It's not like Isaiah Langley has been waiting around. He's in front of you, you know, as a senior too. So there's going to be opportunities for these guys to go and, and win spots. And I think that's going to be great for the competition, both in spring and fall. And Greg Burns is going to have his opportunity to see, you know, there, there's not, there's not guys waiting that have been multi-year starters that you're like, okay, that guy is going to be there. This is going to be an all-out competition, and we'll see who can win. As a whole, how did you think USC came into, you know, closing this signing period both in December and in January? I know Clay Helton said in his presser, the the goal of December was to boost the O-line and and D-line depth, but then, 
you know, you look at it and there's only two linemen, offensive linemen signed. Um, and then, of course, they did bolster the, the DB death in January and Helton said that was a goal. But, I mean, how much does a bad season negate the, the plans that you had coming in for this class? I mean, if you want to bolster the offensive line class, and, and uh, Chris Torino uh, wrote about this in his kind of his signing day conclusion, looking at, you know, giving some superlatives to it. You looked at the names coming in last year, and you look at Jonah Taunua uh, at Narbonne. You look at a guy like Sean Ryan, who went to UCLA. You look at a guy like Darnell Wright, who's a national recruit. You, you look at you know some of the guys that they were going after even yesterday. Enoch uh, Enoke uh, Vimahi. You know he ends up signing with Ohio State. Dewan Jones, a guy who they led for, and you know he's a three-star guy, but you know massive frame, six-eight, three-sixty. Thought he was a basketball player, so he's a little bit raw, but he is a you know, a guy that could be an NFL guy with the size and strength that he has and athleticism, you know, he's just got to work on the fundamentals type of thing. He's a guy that USC led for. If he signed in the early signing period, he probably signs with USC. Instead, he waits, he is patient, and he blows up, you know, because teams start looking around for offensive linemen after the national, after the early signing period and start looking for, for guys. And he's somebody that, that uh, teams pick up on. He ends up signing with Ohio State as well. So there's offensive linemen that they missed out on. Now, they, they got two technically. They got three, really, because Gino Quinones is going to start on the offensive line as well to go along with Jason Rodriguez and, and Talani uh, Levi. So, and, and I think Jason Rodriguez, from what we've seen at the Polynesian Bowl and the Under Armour Bowl, he's still a little bit of a project. He needs to work on his fundamentals and stuff. He needs to be coached up. He's got all the tools to be a great player, but I think he, he's not a guy that's going to be instant impact either. So I don't think there's instant impact guys here on, on the uh, offensive or defensive lines. Now, if you want to count Drake Jackson as a defensive lineman, he's going to play outside linebacker more at USC, then yes, there's there's an impact guy there. But the rest of them, I don't see an impact guy. So Drake Jackson is going to be your one guy that I think can come in and, and make an impact as a freshman, potentially. And you know, I say that because we've seen guys come in, like that guy, can, you know, I thought Kanai Malga coming after uh, spring practice last year, I thought he was going to have an opportunity to, to get in there and make some plays. Didn't really happen. Yeah. So it, it's hard as a as a freshman coming in, especially when you're trying to bulk up. You look at Austin Jackson when he went from high school to to college, and he put on 30, 40 pounds. You know, he had to learn how to you know use his body again. You know, he had to learn how to carry that weight and and be mobile like he had been at the high school level. And it took him a little bit of time to get used to his body. I think that's going to be the same case for a guy like Drake Jackson, who's already put on twenty pounds. Clay Hill uh, said yesterday during the the the. Presser. Trojan Live show, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's going to be a process. There's going to be guys in here that in two or three years are going to be big contributors, but, you know, the instant impact guys, it's hard to find them in this class. As a whole, or are you just talking about offensive line and defense? I'm talking about the whole class. So not even Drake London or, or, or uh, tight ends? You know, there, there are. It's hard to find them, though. I, I think that the receivers, it's going to be hard because, you know, look, Devin Williams could be an instant impact guy. Last year, he played... 100 snaps maybe yeah. you, know, you got Tyler Vaughn's and Michael Pittman in front of him the tight ends you know if they give them an opportunity I think Jude Wolf can be uh the tight ends were terrible this past year you know when I Chris and I wrote about you know basically broke down the season through PFF numbers yeah. and one of the things I wrote about was how bad the tight ends were they were the three worst players on offense all three tight ends so that's how bad now, that's per PFF grading, so you know the coaches' gradings may be a little bit different, but they weren't good. There's no, there's no measure that you could say the tight ends were good. So, yes, I think Jude Wolf could come in and participate right away. 
if Daniel or Mortal Bebe ever came back, then that makes it that much more difficult for one of those freshmen to come back, uh, to participate again. You know, Ethan Ray's coming off the knee injury, so he's probably going to be, you know, not going to be able to make an instant impact. So you, you're looking at maybe Drake Jackson, maybe Jude Wolf, maybe a linebacker in there. You know, maybe Nick Figueroa can get in there. You, you never know those Juco guys, how quickly they can adapt. But I'm looking at this and I'm just not seeing, you, you know, know you know who's the instant impact? Ozzy, 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 Ben Griffiths. Ben Griffiths does it, you know, he will be the starting punter. And from every video I've seen of him punting is he's just booming it. So I think he comes in and yeah, your instant impact guy is your punter. That, <laughs> what does that tell you about this class? Yeah, that's not, that's not the best thing in the world. I mean, if you're a USC fan, how do you take this? How do you take this class? Are you like, it's a down year because of a down season or is this a symptom of the, of the main problem? I mean, this is this class is a symptom of multiple problems. One of them is the down season. One of them is the we'll wait till the season ends and then we'll recruit. That doesn't work when the, your season ends and two weeks later you have a signing period. Yeah. I mean, that worked for them two years ago and uh, last year because you're coming off a Rose Bowl, you're coming off a Pac-12 championship. That helps. And there were still talented guys out there, but with the new early signing period, you see, you saw from last year to this year how many more guys signed during that early signing period. Yesterday, there was no drama in the West. Yeah, there was no drama at all. It, uh, it, looking at you know, especially Southern California, there were I believe twelve guys in the top you know the top one hundred California players, top one hundred California guys. There were twelve guys in Southern California left, and the only drama there was maybe Jordan Wilmore. And whether he's going to pick Utah or Arizona State, everybody else pretty much signed with who you know they had committed you know later in this process. Now there's some of the guys that could have still been recruited that ended up you know signing with teams that they committed to during the the break between signing periods, but there was no real drama. Like and that's what USC usually thrives on. Yeah, they thrive on that signing day announcement because they and they even did that in the in the early signing period with a guy like Drake Jackson. You know that's one of their bit, biggest gets was getting him to sign, but. A lot of these guys, you know, USC has thrived on that last minute. You know, we're gonna have a you know a hat at the table and we're gonna make a you know we're main name for ourselves type of thing. And you know, all the publicity is gonna be about USC and how well they've closed. That wasn't the case this year, and I think they've got to adjust their recruiting strategy because you can't wait so long. Twenty twenty starts today. You know, if I mean, it already has started obviously, but it in earnest it starts today. You have to be out there. You know, making the calls, making whatever it is to to talk to kids and, and get on those. You know, a guy like Justin Flo, they should be you know all they should have already been all over him. They should be sending him every piece of mailing they have. You know, they should have a dedicated student worker just for Justin Flo. He's that good. He's that good. He might be the number one player in the country. He's number three right now, I think. He might end up being the number one player. He's that good, and he's right in your backyard. You can't miss out on a guy like that. He is a a, a program guy. I mean, we always say there's no must get in recruiting because you know there's 22 guys they're starting so you can't there's not a true must get but you can't give up a guy like Justin Flo and let him go somewhere outside of Southern California you see you mentioned something that I think is also part of the problem you said a student worker needs to keep sending him stuff USC needs help they need a bigger support staff they need coaches who will actually go out and recruit. I think you're seeing that with Greg Burns when you have a guy who actually will go out there and put in the legwork. I think it helps when you have your coaches recruiting and then, you know, beefing up your your recruiting staff. I think doing that only helps and puts less strain on guys like Gavin Morris, who it's not necessarily his job to go out on the road as much as he has been doing. 
Yeah, and I don't know how many times I've seen Gavin Morris's Instagram story or whatever it may be with him in Chile, Indianapolis, because he was the guy that was recruiting Dewan Jones more than anybody else. I don't know if I ever saw Dewan Jones in a picture with Tim Drevno. I don't know. I I don't remember it off the top of my head. I would I could do some research and maybe he is, but that's the thing is like you're putting so much on that recruiting staff of two to three people. Yeah. And then you're relying on a, you know, a, a cluster of student workers that are, you know, basically volunteers helping out where Clemson has 50 personnel on staff that are not coaches. USC has like 10 and most of them are like, you know, administrative staff is not recruiting staff. So, I mean, I told you before, I want to be Clemson. I want to be there. What is a life coach or whatever life it was? Coach. Yeah. I want to be a part of that. Um, so USC need, if they want, that's the question. I keep coming back to it. Does USC's administration want to be good anymore? Do you want to invest the resources? Do you want to invest in the, the coaching staff, you know, as far as assistance stuff? Now they, they showed that they were willing to go out and get the top line offense coordinator in Cliff Kingsbury. He, he, I'm sure he was not cheap for the initial thing. You know, they got their investment back on the, uh, the cheap buyout that it, when he went to, to uh, Arizona. But a guy like Graham Harrell is another guy. You had to invest some money to go get him. So they've shown, you know, in this offseason, they will invest a little bit of money to go get some guys. But you got to show it in other parts of the, of, the, of the program as well. You know, it can't just be two or three guys in the, in the recruiting staff, on the recruiting staff if you want to keep up with the Alabamas and the Clemson. And that's who they're recruiting against now because those two programs in particular see blood in the water. They see Southern California with USC and UCLA both down recruiting-wise. They see that as, all right, well, we can just go you know, pick off whoever we want from that area and pull them in, and that's a guy like Justin Flo. Like, that's a guy who they're going to be after. I mean, DJ Uolele, like Clemson probably leads for him right now. Now, yeah. granted, USC has a 2020 quarterback in Bryce Young, and it's, it'd be kind of hard to recruit both of them at the same time. Uh, but you know that's the team that's coming in here. Instead of him, instead of one of them going to USC and one of them go to UCLA, you got a national program now, a national champion coming in and saying, "How about you come over here? We can use you." Not only that, but Texas. I feel like Texas has been all over California lately too. And yeah, Texas did a really good job. I mean, besides Brew McCoy, they also got to Gabriel Floyd, another former USC commit. So I think basically Texas is like, all right, who's USC getting committed? We'll go look at them afterwards because that's what it, you know, it kind of has played out that way to an extent. But, you know, they've done a real good job coming in. And obviously uh, their coach, Tom Herman, has some Southern California ties. That always helps. Uh, but I think you're seeing national programs say, yeah, I see some blood in the water. Georgia was here a couple weeks ago offering all the 2020 kids, you know, guys like Johnny Wilson, you know, is a top 20 wide receiver. I mean, a top 20 uh, prospect as a wide receiver at Calabasas. That's a guy that USC would probably easily get in past years. Now there's questions because everybody's coming in. You got people making inroads in the in Southern California, and that's what happens when USC is struggling. Yeah, you, you've seen this in the past. Uh, you know, you look back over the years, um, and I don't have my notepad with me right now, but I was looking back at all the the number one prospects in the twenty twenty. This will be the twenty first year. Um, uh, the twenty twenty class will be so the last twenty years. California has had five number one prospects. The only other state with more than two is Georgia. It had three. So that's, you know, that tells you how much talent comes out of, of Georgia. However, out of those five prospects, not all of them went to USC. Not all of them went to you know, Stanford, Cal, or, or UCLA. DJ Williams was the first one from uh, Concord de la Salle. He went to Miami. So you see some guys, um, Ronald Powell, I think it was. Yeah, Ronald Powell went to Florida. So 
those those both came at times when USC wasn't doing really well. That's the thing. When, when USC is not doing really well, that's when other programs come in and think that they can, you know, cherry pick away, and that's what can happen. So how firm is you? Like, how steep is the cliff USC is looking down? As far as how quickly can you, if you want to turn this around, how quickly can you? As far as stopping the sharks from coming into your territory, win. All you gotta do is win. They go, they go ten and two this year, and they're in the Pac-12 championship. They're right back in the mix for all those same guys. This year, wouldn't if they were ten and two and they were in the Pac-12 championship. Guys like Enoke uh, Vimahi, he's probably coming to USC. You know, guys that you know that USC would normally get. You would think, you know, that were early USC leans. Those are the guys that that probably end up there. But you, you look at the program, and you go five and seven. You hear all the fans complaining about the head coach. You hear everyone complaining about the athletic director. You're like, it's not a good environment to go into. It's how an environment. How much of that do they really hear though? Because I feel like it's definitely different for for prospects versus it, it is for fans looking in. Well, I, I think that you hear that stuff. You go to a game. You know, you come yeah. on a visit, and you go to a game, and you hear Fire Helton chants in the Notre Dame game. Well, the thing you like about USC might be Clay Helton. You, you love the, the atmosphere. I mean, you love the campus. You love the degree. But you're going to play football, too. So it's not ju- you can't just go for the degree if you, if you have serious aspirations about being a professional football player. You have to go somewhere where you're going to be tutored, mentored to your next profession. So if a school has a really good, like USC has a really good, um, you know, music program, and suddenly, you know, Dr. Dre is a teacher at USC, and that's why you're going there, and suddenly he leaves, yeah, you're going to think twice about staying there. So, you know, if the head coach is the reason why you kind of like the football program, and you start hearing all these chants, and you're wondering about where he's going to be, if he's going to be there the next year, or your position coach, because if there's a coaching change, usually all the coaches leave too. You know all your all your position coaches. So then you, you've got to re-recruit all those guys again. So it's a you know it's a process obviously there. And as a prospect, you're looking at it like, you know, if I go, you know, are they going to invest those resources? I want to go where I know that you know I, I can go to the training table whenever they're going to have you know that specific smoothie that's going to help me gain my thirty pounds or whatever I need. Whereas you start wondering about when you look around the program, it's like, are they really going to invest in me as a you know, as a commodity of this university. And if you're looking at USC right now, you've got to have question marks as, as a player. Whereas if you go 10 and 2, you, you kind of forget about some of those things. Yeah, without a doubt. Winning cures all. Um, any final thoughts about this recruiting class before we move on? You know, I'm, I'm curious to see how some of these under-recruited guys, you know, a guy like Talini Levi at, at Narbonne, I, I liked his tape. You know, there's several guys where I'm like, that's pretty good tape. I like it. Now I'm curious to see how they perform when they get on campus. Can they live up to, you know, the the tape that I've seen and play better than, you know, where they were rated necessarily? And, you know, some of the guys, the other thing I'm wondering about is these injuries. You got three or four guys that are coming in with serious injuries. How are, how do they heal? Uh, because we've seen guys like Solomon Tulipupu, who told us last year on signing day that basically he was going to be ready for fall camp. You know, he was he had a boot on at the time. We talked to him uh, at LA Live, you and I did, and we expected yeah. him to be ready for fall camp, if not summer workouts. He he even told us during summer workouts, oh, I'll be good for fall camp. Like, And it just never happened. He never saw the field. He never even practiced. Yeah. So, you know, I'm curious to see how it, how it goes. And I do not have 100% confidence in the, the medical staff at USC. No. I've give, I gave up that when Armand Armstead had a heart attack from them giving him too much Toradol. So, or at least that's what he alleged in his lawsuit. 
you know, after that, you, you kind of take a step back. Whoa, I don't, I don't know if you can trust that that group anymore. And sure, there's been changes and different things, but you know, a guy like Daniel Mornabebe, he's yeah. he's never gotten better. And speaking of which, we'll just inject this now. Helton said that uh, as far as winter workouts go, Daniel Mornabebe is just doing individual workouts. So essentially, more of the same for Daniel. So I don't know if it's assessment of the injury initially or what it may be, but when guys just aren't getting better and they're having long term injuries that linger and linger and linger. You wonder about the the you know the competency and the ability of the training staff and the the medical staff at USC. You know, so that's I'm curious to see how those guys that are recovering from injury how they come in and if they are able to get back on the field quickly or not. And Clay Hilton actually had a lot of praise for Max Williams when mm-hmm. speaking of injuries. He said that he's never in his 20 years never seen a guy work harder to try and get back on the field and said USC's doctors, which he just kind of uh, trashed a little bit, were amazed by his progress. So at least Max Williams has a good pr- pr- prognosis, pr- prognosis, prognosis in that. And and maybe they were amazed because you know they haven't seen guys improve. Oh, shotgun! <laughs> but also, you also wonder when he says that, like, how does Porter Gustin feel? Because <laughs> Porter Gustin came back from injuries really quickly. So did Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, See. So Never seen a guy work so hard to get back. Well, I guess you you didn't see him work for long because he only was out three days with a broken hand. So. True. Moving on, Clay Helton uh, got to talk about other things besides recruiting yesterday. Uh, he said that the part of the reason why he took so long making a, a decision on a new offensive coordinator is that he didn't want to rush it. He wanted to take his time. He interviewed multiple candidates, according to Clay, uh, but he said Graham Harrell was a good fit. Uh, it, it seemed that way when they first sat down for their interview. Uh I almost called you Clay. Shotgun. <laughs> what we haven't really gotten your official pod thoughts about Graham Harrell. What do you, what do you think about all this and, and what Clay had to say about him yesterday? Yeah, don't call me Clay unless you're going to give me his uh, salary. So. <laughs> um, what I thought about his comments is I, I like the fact that he said they sat down and he really liked what he heard from Graham Harrell. But then Graham Harrell came and you know, went over some of their favorite plays and looked at, went over the roster and Graham Car- Harrell really liked what he saw in USC and you know Clay Helton. So. Uh, you know, if that is indeed how it played out, then that shows you it was a good match together. It's not USC reaching for someone and, you know, this doesn't really feel right, but we, we got to go make a hire, in, anything like that. I thought they took their time and got a very good, you know, hire in Graham Harrell. From what I've seen, what I've watched of the North Texas tape, uh, you know, I'm excited for this offense. Um, you know, I haven't been able to see as much as the Cliff Kingsbury. You know, I watched, you know, I could, was able to watch five years basically of tape on Cliff Kingsbury and different games and stuff. So not quite as much tape on North Texas on YouTube and different things and partly because it's North Texas, but also because he'd only been there a couple of years. Uh, but, but it looks like a positive hire. I think that, uh, you know, Clay Helton tried to distance himself from the air raid necessarily. Uh, he tried to back away from that and say, you know, he wasn't looking for an air raid. He was looking for a someone. He has a lot of confidence in Tim Drevno and, Mike Jinks in the running game, but he wanted someone pass first, basically, with the coordinator. And I think Graham Harrell, you know, fits that. But this offense will run the ball. You know, the North Texas, if it follows the North Texas line of uh, play calling and production, the USC will will be able to run the ball in this offense. And they gained 2,000 yards, I think, a couple of years ago for North Texas. They had a 1,200-yard running back or, or something like that. Uh, I think that was two years ago as well. Um, so, They've had success running the ball. I think that's key for this offense. USC should always be able to run the ball. Now, are you going to be physical? Are you going to be quick passing? How are you going to how are you going to do it? I don't think it matters. I think as long as you, the offense starts scoring some points, if they scored seven more points a game last year, they win four more games. And I know Clay 
talked about that and how he's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be his offense. You know, it's going to be Graham Harrell's offense. He's going to step back from the offense and focus on fundamentals and what was it? Penalties, penalties and. uh, Well, the main phrase was fundamentals and technique, which to me. Well, he he said that that's going to be the the emphasis of spring, but he was going to step back and and instead of doing X's and O's, he was going to focus on uh, on the 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 penalties and turnovers. So that was what his focus was going to be. So he's not even going to be calling the plays. I don't think he the way he made it sound is like he's not going to be devising the uh, the offensive game plans anymore. He said he's going to still going to check in on the offensive group. He's going to check in on the defense and the special teams, same as he always would. But it sounds like he's just stepping back and he's going to take the CEO role. And but he wants to focus on the penalties and the turnovers. That was was his emphasis. He said if they would have cleaned those two things up, then they would have won those last four games. They were so close. Now I thought that the phrasing was interesting because I feel like in and we got to hear both pressers basically after the Cliff signing and after the Graham signing. And I and we heard Tim Drevno's name more so than we did after the Cliff signing. And, you know, Helton said that they wanted to look for an elite uh, passing coordinator for Grant, with Graham. And so mentioning Tim Drevno as, like, a, the run game coordinator, does he still hold that title? And this, is this going to be, Graham, you now need to work with Tim on this, or is Graham going to have full control over all of this? That's going to be interesting. You know, that's something we'll, we'll hopefully be able to kind of decipher during spring practices and see how exactly is this group working together. Because Graham Harold wasn't able to just bring in his guys, you know. Mike Jinks has been in the air raid before, so I think that still fits there. But how does Tim, Tim Drevno and, and Kerry Colbert and, you know, if John Baxter is with the tight ends again, how do they all fit into this? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, it's not like you had basically a blank slate for Graham Harrell to go get the guys that he liked and, you know, to have input with Clay Helton in that regard. So springtime will be interesting kind of seeing how they, they kind of work together. I mean, when Tim Drevno came in, everyone thought that he's basically going to be helping out the offensive line. But we didn't see that, you know, it, True. it wasn't like he was, you know, it was Neil Calloway and him side by side yelling at different parts of the offensive line. Uh, so I, I think that Tim Dreveno can get along with other coaches in that regard. So I don't think that's going to be an issue there. So we'll see in spring how it plays out. But, you know, that's something to watch for is, you know, how does this coaching staff kind of t- kind of meld together? What did you make of? a focus of spring being fundamentals and technique because to me i feel in my mind that's like a given like that should be regard that's why you practice to make sure your fundamentals and technique are sound so to make that a specific emphasis to me is kind of like i i, I don't fully understand it you know to me it almost sounds like business terms of like we're gonna have synergy it's like cool but like what does that actually mean you know and, and, and when asked about it dan asked about it and helton didn't really give any tangibles and I mean, Clay doesn't have to give us, but I, to me, given what Clay has done, I sometimes I, I I wonder how that actually is put to practice, and if it will be. Yeah, I mean, again, that's something we won't find out until spring, really, and we see if there's differences in practice. I mean, are are we going like they should spend certain days night, no seven on seven, no team periods, you know, it should just be straight fundamentals because that was some of the issues. If you're gonna say that that's gonna be you know, something you're going to focus on that I want to see a, I want to see a very, very boring day of practice where there's no true competition periods and you walk step by step over things because apparently those are things that are issues. Offensive line, you know, being able to block in the run game and, and you know, some of those things, you know, it, it's 
you need competition periods to to master them but i feel i think you break it all down you start from scratch and you go from you just build block building block by building block uh you know this team struggled in areas and and that's if, if that's what you're going to point out that is going to be then that's what they should be working on you should just go straight to the fundamentals it shouldn't be competition periods and you know we get better through no we'll start with the fundamentals and the techniques if you want to truly say that but then again there's so many things that have been said and not followed through not just with clay helton but you know with the we, we got to get better in these areas lin swan well are you doing that like how how much actually change are you invoking when you know you, you they fired three coaches, um, you know it's still hard for me to say that they're fully investing in the things that they say, you know when you say that you're gonna that certain things are gonna have to change and you don't really change them then that's you know words are words actions speak louder than words that's you know the common saying all the time but you know I'm I'm curious to see how it works, you know if Clay says. I'm going to step away from the X's and O's and I'm going to focus on situational mastery. Are they going to suddenly get better at situational mastery? Because that is something they've lacked at. Now the, the phrase bothers people and because he uses it a lot sometimes, but they have struggled in certain situations and, and dealing with third longs or, you know, dealing with the two minute drill and, you know, and being able to, you know, when they're down against Ohio state in the cotton bowl, you're down by multiple scores and you're huddling up and taking 25 seconds off the clock every single play, that's a situational issue. Are they going to get better at those things? You know, I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I feel like we're we're far enough along to for me to not expect changes. You know, I'm very wait and see on this. It it sounds good and and credit to them for saying the right things. But will that actually be put into in, into practice and we'll see changes? For me, I feel like the only catalyst of how practice will change is if Graham Harrell says something like, hey, for my system, I need this. We need to break it down this way. This is We need to practice in a certain manner. Because for me, I don't really feel like... If he says, I need more time because you guys have been spending an hour on special teams every day, then yeah. That that would be a change that would stand out to me if yeah. the offense got more offense defense got more time and special teams got less. We won't find out in the spring because last year they didn't do a ton of uh, special teams in the spring. But then during game weeks, they're spending an hour on it, which is perfectly fine if you have a top five special teams unit in the country. But when you start the season as the worst special teams unit in the country after three or four games, that's a big issue. And I, I even said at the time, I was like, I would just scrap the whole special teams practicing every day. If you're going to be terrible, just be terrible and be much better in your other areas. But yeah. no, they, they got better as the season progressed. The special teams definitely did. Uh, but I still don't think the in, the time invested in special teams is worthy, uh, is providing a outcome that is worthy of that amount of time. So, you know, I, I'm curious. I'm always curious to see how they allot their time and, you know, what they focus on and those things. And, that's one of the cool things about USC and us being able to be at practice is we get to see. Yeah. And then, you know, we get to relay that to the fans and then they get to complain about it. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. We will see when we get there. Um, but I'm not really holding my breath for big changes until we see it. No, not really. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see how Graham Harrell will do it. I'm curious to see how the competitions play out because Clay Helton said, you know, with a new coordinator, and I, I said this before with a new coordinator, basically every position is open. He said, because he was asked about the QB competition, and if there would be one, he said there would be equal number of reps for the quarterbacks and that, they, that spring is an opportunity for everyone to grow and compete so that there will be a competition there. 
how it plays out is, is still to be determined. But yeah, just like I said, you know, every position is open because that coordinator is going to come in and be like, all right, how can I use this guy in my system? Yeah. How does this guy fit for me? And so you got to figure out who who works in your system. So I'm, I'm curious to see how Graham Harrell interacts with the players and stuff. I got a lot of curiosities for for this spring um, because it's such an important one for this coaching staff and this program going forward. If Clay Helton is to lead this team back to where they want to be, I think it starts this spring. I think you have to tear everything down after a five and seven season. I've said before, you know, when you go five and seven at a program like USC, everyone is plenty capable of being fired. Um, you, your, your whole coaching staff, your whole whatever, did not accomplish what is basically set in stone at USC that you finish at least above five hundred. So everyone is, you know, on the chopping block potentially. Now that they have their coaching staff, now. You have to break it all down, build it back up. Can they build it back up starting with this spring? Yeah, I, I'm very curious to see that. Um, I just, I think as far as culture, they want culture changes. And I don't think you can change that without reevaluating your strength and conditioning and reevaluating the way you practice. And right now, it's TBD as far as strength and conditioning. I know there has been a, a huge uh, player uh, support for Keith Belton, which. I think he's great. You know, I, I, I've told you shotgun on the sideline multiple times, like I'll have what he's having. Sometimes he has so much energy. And I'm like, where does he get this from? You know, I think he's a great influence to the program, but I, as for now, if you want to change the culture, don't h- promote the guy who was just under Ivan Lewis. Yeah. And you know, I'm a Keith Belton fan first and foremost, because his name is thump. <laughs> His name is Thump Belton, you know, childhood nickname. You're uh, all for the childhood oh nickname, yeah. Shotgun. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but, you know, he is definitely a guy that has plenty of energy, and he can, you know, maybe he can motivate these players a little bit more, and maybe that's something they're looking at. They have not made that change. If you want to change the culture, there's, there's two words in that, a cultural change. There's two words. One of them is change. You have to change stuff. I know that is – you know, maybe that's mind blowing to the USC administration who wants to keep everything as is because the people in power want to keep the same amount of power they have, if not get more. And that's why there hasn't been much change in throughout the USC, you know, administration and you know everything even above the football program. But if you want, if you say we need to change the culture, you have to make some changes. One coach is not going to do that. Maybe the head coach is, but one assistant coach is not going to change that. How do they make these cultural changes? You know, if they come out and it's a completely different, you know, practice philosophy and it looks completely different than the past, then maybe I'll buy in. But until I see some legit changes, it's just the same stuff to me. Now, and you can have the same stuff. And if you score seven more points, you win those four games and you go nine and four or whatever it is, then, hey, or nine and three, it looks like a decent season. Are you going to get to that level where, you can win championships? I don't think so, though, if there's not significant change. I mean, I said it during the Utah game. You've seen all you need to see. This coaching staff, as it was, you know, as it was constructed, cannot win a national championship. They've made some changes, but we haven't seen, you know, those big visible changes to the program itself and to the culture of the program to say that suddenly I think this team can win a national championship. That's the ultimate goal, right? Well, or that's the, is that, it at that's USC? The big question. That's the big question is do the higher ups, are they, do they want a national championship? Or are they good with mm, a nine win season? No controversies. Football is good. Hey, it, it's a great story when Butler makes the national championship in basketball. 
But do you see Butler consistently doing it? No, they don't have the investment. A mid-major program like Gonzaga has consistently been good because that school has invested in that program. It's the face of the program. And they've invested in Mark Few. And this is to a completely different point because that's a mid-major, but that's kind of how USC is treating their programs. Like USC, if you have three people on the recruiting staff, you're treating it like a mid-major. I just – I and that's why I feel like if you're just listening to the podcast and you're more positive than others, I think you could say that we were trending on the negative towards the, the end of this podcast. But the thing is, is like we evaluate this from the standard of USC wants to be national champions, right? That's what the fans want. Yeah. So I mean, but but there are some fans who are good with nine se- nine win seasons. You know, we did our best. That's good. And that's good. But I, I, I just don't feel like if you're a USC fan, you're used to being the best. Hey, and USC has not always been, you know, a national championship caliber program. They haven't always. But they've pretty consistently been one of those. That's why they are a blue blood program. So if you want to continue being a blue blood program, you have to go out and make the changes when it's necessary. And so far, I just have not seen enough of them to feel like that there's going to be a drastic cultural change uh, next season. I just don't understand. If you're going to swallow your pride at the end of the season and say, we need a culture change, we need to we need to make these drastic changes and acknowledge that this was a bad season, if you're already at that point, why not then just do it? Why still be stubborn about it while maintaining that, yeah, there are problems and we need to change it? The, the problem, I think, is, is I will, from outside looking in, is I don't think they think they're that far off. While some fans think they're so far off, and we think that they're a good ways off, I know that you know all those things were listed by Lynn Swan, but I don't think that people inside the program necessarily think they're that far off. And maybe it's because just won a Rose Bowl three years ago, just won a Pac-12 championship two years ago. Hey, that's not far off. If you're at that level, that's not far off from national championship. You know, you're you're close. But are you going to be able to get to that and then go that extra level up to national championship? That's what I'm. I'm not sure that I have seen from this program. Even when they won the Rose Bowl and they won the Pac-12 championship, there were still some chinks in the armor. You know, there was some some stuff that you saw and you were, you know, curious. Uh, can they can they fix that and mo- and you know take that little small thing to the next level? And then when things those things were still problems, and then suddenly you got some more issues this past year. That's when you lose you know lose seven games. Yeah. Well, it seemed like USC and, and Clay Helton in yesterday's press conference. They tried to turn the page on what this offseason was. Clay Helton said that it wasn't really different from anything, any other offseason, which, which I felt was a little a little curious. Um, but it seems like they're trying to turn the page, you know, moving forward, looking forward to Graham Harrell, looking forward to the spring and what that brings. Um, I think it's always good. We've said this before on the podcast. When you have a new offensive coordinator, a new coordinator, guys are going to get a fresh chance and want to perform at a high level just to impress that coordinator. So I think having an open competition in that sense um, is good. So it should be good for the team, but I'm just, I'm, I'm cautious. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see a bunch of things and then I will be willing to jump aboard and say that I think that they will be much better if I see some changes, but until we see it in spring and Graham Harrell, I think the offense is going to be much better. I, I think if you, just kind of, if you're able to build on plays over and over, like Cliff Kingsbury was able to do, like Graham Harrell, uh, from the little bit of tape I've seen, is able to do, 
then I, I think this offense, there's just so many playmakers available for USC that I think they will continue, the offense will continue to continue to get better. It starts up front, though, with the offensive lineman. Can you run in those short yardage situations? That's still important. You know, they can still score seven more points, but be stuffed on invaluable third down, and then you lose a game. So, you know, I, I'm, those things can get better. They probably will get better with this offense, but there's still some issues that have to be figured out. Since spring camp is coming right around the corner, we have planned to do a little preview pods leading Whoop. up to it. Uh, so we'll go down the roster, give a little preview, little thoughts and, and things like that to get you guys looking towards spring camp since we're almost there, which is pretty crazy. And we can stop talking about the past because it's the yeah. past. Yeah, I, I think everyone involved is, is ready to move on from what was. Yeah, this is a, this is a bad season for USC, and you know it's it's tough for us to have to rehash it over and over yeah. again. We want to talk about new things and you know what's going forward because last year's over. It's over indeed, and thank. And goodness. now the recruiting class is over, besides potentially Puka. Potential. We'll see. We'll see. Alrighty. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? I think that's about it for me. I know you've missed me. <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for this week's pod. We'll be back next week, hopefully, if Shotgun doesn't go gallivanting to another place. Wow. We'll see. Got to take another shot at you. Wow. That Shotgun. I was available for those podcasts. I just want you to know, I asked you and you said no. And this is being cut out. What? Thanks, Shotgun, <laughs> so much. <laughs> and we'll see you next week.